with, with some of the years that we've had, I don't think I could have held a job if I wanted to, like an outside job, because you get the phone call and you have to go pick somebody up. You have to make this appointment, that appointment. Um, it's a full-time job at home. It just is. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
at different times between her and her older sister, we'd say, you know, I think so. This one's going to do better in life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then a week or two later, we go, oh well, hmm, no, maybe not. <laughs> and over the years, it's really, it's hard to predict. Yeah. It, circumstances come up, and they make their choices, and it's hard for it's hard. They have the choice in that, obviously, mm -hmm. and that can really take them one way or the other. Okay. Um, and so, both of those girls were with us from the time they were two months old and not just over two years old. So we had oh, them wow. from very yeah. tiny. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, and do you think that there are adequate supports out there for uh, individuals with FASD when they graduate high school and that transitioning? For us, as these were our first kids graduating and needing supports, and we never, maybe there is one out there, but there's not a roadmap that we saw. Mm -hmm. that says, if you have this, you might qualify for yada, 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 and this is how to go about it. Mm -hmm. This is what you'll need. Um, these, are, these are some places to try, and I mean, there's pamphlets for different places, but having a child with FASD and having them graduate and not really knowing what, how to get help, where help might be, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was scary and it was hard, and and then you get conflicting um, advice, even from people in agencies and whatnot. And it's, it was really um, just kind of a quicksand trying to find your way through. Mm -hmm. um, and even through the school system, like when our kids were little, um, when these girls were in elementary school, um, we knew that they were behind. We knew that things were not where they should. And yet, talking to the teacher, talking to the principal, everything was fine, everything mm -hmm. was fine, everything was fine. And it was very frustrating. I got to where I wouldn't read their report cards mm -hmm. because they meant nothing to me because I knew it wasn't accurate. Mm -hmm. And finally, our oldest one changed schools um, by grading up. And within a month, her teacher called me and said, you know, I've read her past reports and things, but it's not... If they're not jiving to me. Can we get yeah. some testing done? Hallelujah. Yeah. Like somebody that, that said, took the time or really noticed that something wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. And so then we got started to get a bit of help for that one. And because of that, I could go back to the elementary school and say, her sister needs help mm -hmm. and I want her tested. And we yeah. got our, our next child tested. But even through the school system, knowing what's available, mm -hmm. how how to go about getting it, um, and and some people aren't very compliant at trying to help. Yeah, that's just the, that's what we found. Yeah, um, some people are awesome. The teacher that said, you know, something's not jiving here. Thank you. Yeah, because it made a huge difference. I know that can be kind of a tough conversation to have with parents when you're the teacher mm. and all of a sudden, you know, you're noticing something different. And then as a teacher, you're like, well, is this me? And if I come and have that conversation <laughs> with a parent, are they going to think that, you know, all their other teachers prior to them were doing a good job and now you're, you're coming to me and you're messing up saying that, you know, they're not yeah. at that level. And I think I love how you brought out there that you knew, you knew that they were not at the level that's being sent home in the report cards. You know your kids. Just speaking to that report card and kind of getting that information, did you initiate that assessment piece? Like, did you know 
previously that um, your daughter might have a diagnosis of FASD or might have had been prenatally exposed oh, to alcohol? We, we knew from the get-go that they had been prenatally exposed. Okay. Um, when they came to us, we knew that. Um, we were very, like, we, we, knew, we knew they had FAS um, before they were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. You're, like, yeah, we just did. Um, but yeah, the administrator at that time just, that wasn't, no, they were doing fine. Mm. And you know what? They weren't a behavior problem, mm. which yeah. often if you have a behavior issue going on, um, you get attention mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, um, we've had some awesome teachers and awesome EAs. Um, with our second born especially, she had EAs that um, were great, but I, I know one year in particular she had four EAs that worked with her mm. at different times because they kept getting bumped. Yeah. And yeah. that didn't work for her. Even now, last week I was chatting with her and she, I said, you know, you should go and get a counselor because she has access to one. And she said, but mom, you get to know them and then they leave. Mm -hmm. And it's just this, you know, people changing, better job comes up, they get bumped, whatever, and it really affects our kids mm -hmm. badly. Have you noticed the importance of routine with your with oh, your yeah. kids and, yeah. and how at home or at school, when there's a change in that routine, how that... For her in particular, that was just mind-boggling for her. Mm -hmm. um, with, with her, our second one, um, we ended up doing, we did all kinds of different school with her. She went to public school for some elementary. Um, we did some homeschool. We did some partial homeschool distance ed. We did some partial going to school, like part days. And we also did some more distance ed. And like, we just, we tried everything just to try and find a fit for her. Mm -hmm. um, what ended up working for, because I think you mentioned earlier too, uh, prior to starting this podcast, was that um, all of your children that were diagnosed with FASD were all quite different. And oh, yeah. significantly, like just, and, and I think that's when we do our presentations, we talk about how no two kids are impacted the same way. And I'm just curious with uh, the child you were just speaking on, did you notice that... Um, one of those education streams, whether it's distance ed or school or uh, homeschool, worked well for what worked well or better or worse or. I don't think I could say any one of them worked best. Okay. But it seemed to be the best choice at the time. Mm -hmm. um, her anxiety was a huge issue, um, and of course, working with medications and things, um, it was just try try it try it try it with her, mm -hmm. um, and. I mean, to this day, they're still trying to fine-tune medications. Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing thing. Um, you mentioned different um, effectiveness for different kids. Um, we have our 17 and 18-year-olds are sibs to the 23 and 25-year-olds. And our 18-year-old doesn't have a lot of FASD characteristics, um, but her language is an issue. Mm. Um, her, her speech is slow and word retrieval is, is a problem. Like she'll get stuck on a word. And when she was little, you know, the impulse is to give her the word, right? Cause mm -hmm. you know what she's trying to say, but then she started to stutter. Mm. And so we had to back off. You just have to wait and let it happen. Mm -hmm. And actually she's doing quite well. She graduates this year and um, 
but language is still a problem, even um, writing, mm -hmm. um, just the whole language parcel. When we did, and of course we did speech therapy with all of them, um, at the age of five, if, if the speech um, pathologist said three or four words, she couldn't repeat them back in order. Like it was just, mm -hmm. couldn't do it. So. And was that something that developed over time of just through different strategies of being able to or, uh, recall different things? Or do you, is that still a struggle? No, that she's grown through, like, passed through that. Um, now it's more halting speech. Hmm. And um, she's a real neat kid. Um, and she's very aware of her of her the impact it's had on her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we talk about it so yeah. and we've talked about it with all the kids yeah they're, they're aware that there's stuff that happened prenatally that that affects them mm -hmm. and we just have to figure out how to deal with it so do you anticipate that as the 18 year old graduates will they receive support community support after that graduation she probably won't okay yeah she um I mean, we've had the testing done and things, and she's she probably won't. She's made it through school um, without a, an EA with her and, and without no. the special needs classroom. Um, and she's planning to go to college this fall. Oh, nice. So awesome. she has plans. And she had a diagnosis of FASD? Yes. PFASD, ARND. Okay. okay. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. in there. I, I can't tell you which one. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> No, that's I'd good. have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's something that we talk about too, is that not every designation or diagnosis is a designation too. No. Um, and so it has to impact school significantly in order right. to get that EA support. And if you can't demonstrate that, then that funding and the EA support and things like that yeah. are not available. And yeah. yet um, how important it is to have supports and having you know supportive family for say that expressive language challenges that she might have and then the how it makes her feel um being able to have supports from home and school supports to mm -hmm. to talk it out and to have somebody there so, to make it make sense to make it make sense i think something i meant to mention a bit ago i think as an adoptive parent it's a lot easier for me to say um my child needs help because they have fasd Mm -hmm. I think if you give birth to a child, like in, in some yeah. ways adopting gives me a bit of distance. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's not a personal, a, not even attack, but it's not a personal responsibility. So um, like it gives me a bit of distance. I've always thought that. Um, but if, if a parent comes to the school and says, you know, my, ch my kid needs help and, and whatnot, the people that listen and and try to help you and try to help the child like it's so important um i have had experiences where i'm not a big crier okay but i've had a meeting with a um, special needs teacher that left me in tears mm -hmm. i just i couldn't believe this was who was guiding my child through it through her education because oh my goodness it was it was mm -hmm. it was a bad experience um, and then you have the children who experience that they don't even want to go to school mm -hmm. You know and where do you go with that, right? Yeah So I guess I mean we've had good experiences people that care make make a huge difference mm -hmm. Getting a diagnosis to us was very important and I know people say you know You don't want to label on the kid, you know, we don't want to 
but without that diagnosis, you can't get support. Mm -hmm. And our kids need support. That's yeah. the way they need to be be able to be successful. Mm -hmm. And that's my. I want to help them be successful, and feel okay about themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you do you do you sometimes feel or think that sometimes um, your kids they give their best at school? You know, like, um, and, and I, I mean this in the sense that as 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 teachers, sometimes we feel like uh, some of our students might not be giving their best. They mm. might not be trying their hardest. Uh, but as a parent, you see them throughout that twenty four hours, and um, potentially they are. Saving I think up their most kids to do, do their best. Most kids do give their best at school. Most kids. Because otherwise, it's their peers watching, and mm -hmm. like you know, it's it's a social, social um, place, and maybe that maybe they maybe they're trying doesn't doesn't look like it, mm -hmm. but um, often I've had report cards come home and say, oh, you know, so and so is less great in school, and da, 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 and I think, could you send that child home, please? Yeah. Like, <laughs> please, you're sending the wrong one home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I'm not seeing it. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's really common for all kids. I mean, my birth children too. But yeah, it's stressful for some of our, our kids. Um, just so much going on, so much to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trying to keep up. Yeah. Um, with our daughter that has the language delay, trying to keep up with conversations, multi people conversations, really difficult. Mm. Really difficult. And with all of our kids, like going to a lecture type situation, they might as well have a nap. Like okay, yeah, to the yeah. to, it's it's so hard to just pay attention to someone talking mm. at the front. You know, when there's nothing else going on, you're supposed to be listening, and it it's it just bounces off. All the other stimulus is get gra grabbing their attention. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's it's not grabbing them. Yeah. What what have you noticed that works best for your your kids that have gone through? And each kid's different, but I mean, like yeah. in general, generally hands on, okay. hands on, um, visual, um, making it real, uh, even math problems. You know, mm -hmm. Johnny has three apples, and you know, Susie takes two, and yada yada. yada. Um, making it, giving it names. You know, your sister so and so yeah. has five apples, and your brother took two. How many does she have left? It's it's totally different, is what I've found. Mm -hmm. Doing homework with them, um, make it real, make it make sense in their brain. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just so abstract that it, it's they just get lost in it. Right. But if you can make it something that is real to them, it makes a difference. Yeah. A big one. Yeah. Do you feel as though there's enough support? Uh, support programs or support even in general in the schools currently no no that's oh. just a no yeah yeah it's just a it's just a that's straight just out a no. no yeah um, one of our sons just had a psych ed done last week mm -hmm. and he needs so much help mm -hmm. and i don't know how we're going to get it mm -hmm. i'm racking my brains going through his report and i it, it's very discouraging. I don't know how we're going to support him to get through school. He's a smart enough little guy, but his working memory and his ADHD just 
draw him down so far that school and classrooms are almost useless. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do now? Yeah. And he's also very social. And to do something like to to draw him away from school and his friends and things um, isn't an option. Mm -hmm. Having him do school at home after he gets home from a day at school is also not an yeah. option. He's a lovely little guy. I don't know where we go with this. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a common concern, you know, for all parents and, yeah. and seeing that the funding that does come for individuals with a diagnosis of FASD, chronic health, um, that these kids that need more support, that doesn't match that. And then depending on the school and depending on the classrooms, and how that support gets filtered out and divvied and, around to, to support these yeah. kids. I was just curious, um, do you ever worry that your kids, when they're in the school, that sometimes uh, teachers might not uh, see the disability, see the brain injury, and what they do see is the behavior. And that, do you ever worry that they might think that your child is making a choice to be disruptive or making a choice to um, not do the work? You talk about the working memory. Do you ever worry that, because I know as an educator, it's not like any other um, disorder disability in the sense that it's an invisible disability right and I would think that as a as a parent um, knowing that in a busy classroom and knowing that your your little guy is has a good heart and it's a, it's something that teachers can't and administrators can't see yeah they don't stand out at a glance they don't stand out at a no. glance so do you ever worry that it's mistaken that behavior I have to say touch wood and all that my kids haven't been much of a behavior problem okay. they're um, they're not the squeaky wheel which in some ways being a squeaky wheel might be a better thing mm, yeah. because then they might get more attention if they have a behavior problem right we don't want to go there um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no we're not going to encourage that so my kids tend to just shut down and doodle Mm. or fiddle around and they're not disruptive mm -hmm. so I don't think I have quite the same um, I don't see what what you're seeing kind of or because mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. um, my kids haven't been unruly or mm -hmm. loud or bugging other kids and that kind of thing typically yeah. I mean I'm sure they do sometimes but <laughs> <laughs> they're kids yes <laughs> I was gonna say all kids are, yeah yeah but um, but do you think it's important and I'm going to guess the answer is yes, but do you yeah. think it's important that as a parent you advocate for them, that you um, are speaking to their teachers and sharing with them that uh, ahead of time that yep. this is my child, this is the impact of and FASD? Yes. Because not all teachers, I'm thinking about local universities, they'll get a three-hour presentation on FASD. And depending if they attended that lecture or not, or <laughs> what they got out of it, they're now, they're you know, now for the next and 30 got, years. They've got five kids with FASD in their class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if they don't, and, and we do have professional development, and we do have right. great programs like PopFest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just joking. Um, but we do have those, those supports there, but not all teachers 
take that. And so if they're not aware of it, yeah, totally. they might think that that doodling or that, you know, yeah. um, kind of moving away from the situation or that anxiety thing is due to something else. Yeah, totally. And I guess one of the things I, I wanted to bring out was I have, I have had teachers who I've gone in. And I don't, you don't usually go in right away in the first week of school because everybody's crazy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would encourage teachers to really check out I, past IEPs and the kids' file. I mean, these mm -hmm. kids have files. Mm -hmm. They're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I've had teachers that are totally, you know, unaware kind of thing. And I think, mm -hmm. no, you need to read the file. Like, yeah. go and get it and read it because it's important. Mm -hmm. um, and I know they don't have a new IEP at that, you know, September stage, mm -hmm. but they have, they have them from before. Yeah. It gives you a good idea. And usually, I mean, my kids haven't changed schools, so they're known in their school. Yeah. And we're usually involved in the process of deciding who's, which teacher they get the next year. Like, what's the best fit? And there's oh, usually nice. conversation about that. So do you feel as though that's an essential piece to providing that um, effective education is that communication with the school oh. and... Uh, yeah. And that uh, feeling like you are um, welcomed in that conversation and, yeah. and essential in that conversation. Yeah, that that's at a IEP, what did we call it? IEP review at the end of the yeah, year or something yeah. like that. And it, it comes up and usually they have an idea of where they'd like to go. And, and I'm, I mean, I, I sometimes don't know who the teachers are, which mm -hmm. is, you know, but they, they'll tell me what the qualities are that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the balance of the, which one should, where, where shall we go here? Yeah. <laughs> but they, they usually will check in with me and say, you know, this is kind of where we're leaning. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And yeah. makes me feel needed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and yeah, and it makes you want to be a part of that process. Yeah. Whereas I think if parents are not invited, parents are oh. not valued, then that can only um, it leads to that, yeah, that, that, yeah. that separation, just like you said that you would sometimes not read those report cards cause you knew that they were not accurate and they, you knew that, um, they were just frustrating. They were just frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And so we had a presentation, Miles Himmelreich, uh, in November as well. And he spoke about the importance of, uh, with us, not without us yeah. and, uh, yeah. and how important that is and having, when we talk about we share this with our presentations too of of how important it is to to take into account that child and giving them a voice mm -hmm. within especially that intermediate yeah. and and high school of what works for you because as educators we think we might know we can plan your life yeah you have to buy in but you have to buy in yeah and we might not even be planning it properly without well, yeah. your input and then the parents and and uh and yeah yeah so ieps having the kid there once they attain a certain age Mm -hmm. You know, this is what we're we're trying to do, and but they have to buy in because if they if if yeah, if it doesn't work for where they want to go, mm -hmm. what's the point? Yeah. So. Yeah, you mentioned the reading the files, and I think there's a couple things there as a as a teacher of twelve years that mm -hmm. I always found challenging is like you said the beginning of the year is just crazy busy, mm -hmm. and you don't know who's going to be in your classroom right. entirely for sure, for sure yeah. until you know the first until the end of the week that first right. week and then you have a pretty good idea and then you have that planning for 28 other students <laughs> complex students dynamic yeah. students because mine's the i always tell yeah. the teachers as long as you realize that mine is the most important we'll get along <laughs> then we're good oh yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah and mine, uh, mine's the one <laughs> yeah 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 
Um, yeah, and you have so many so many students to take account for, and 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 I think there is some hesitancy in some of those red files, which is mm-hmm. our district, right. of um, when they're coming from CDBC, uh, they're lengthy files. Mm-hmm. It's so important to read them, and that's what yeah. we talk about in our presentation because there's so much valuable information there. And then there's the school mm-hmm. uh, psychologist report that has valuable information, but that process of time and um mental capability mental capability yeah especially when you have a a, a number of dynamic students in your classroom but it's so important to do that it's so important because in in those there's strategies there's the neurodevelopmental domains that are impaired Mm -hmm. so as a teacher if you could jot down those notes that this child has working memory issues and then you could start you could remember that i need to use more visual aids Mm -hmm. i need to slow it down and the interesting thing about our our kids that need you know the visual aids and all these other steps is those benefit the other kids too. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's not like you're just doing it for one child. Yeah, yeah. It it's it benefits everyone. Yeah. So you know, yeah. it, instead of feeling like you're really messing with the teacher, it does benefit everyone. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. We do um, the eight keys. I don't know if you're familiar with those, uh, Jan Lutke and Deb Evanson. Mm. Um, they uh, presented upon the eight keys: routine, structure, mm. repetition, supervision, consistency. There's a few more. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, and, and and one thing that's and then the, the center one is relationships. Mm. Um, and so these are. Uh, skills, strategies to incorporate in all your instructions with individuals with FASD. However, they are all essential for all kids. Yes. Right. So, so it's, you can't go wrong. So you can't go wrong. <laughs> um, but it's so important to slow down and consider and think about some of those, especially things like like supervision mm-hmm. and making sure that. Um, the, all individuals in your classroom understand what they're supposed to do and you're providing those supports to help them do what you're asking them to do. Right. And, uh, and each kid is so different whether they have FASD or not. And yeah, yeah. they're so different. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me. Um, so I think this is, this has been just a wonderful conversation. I'm wondering if, um, so it, in our conversations and in these previous podcasts, we do a teacher thing and it's called okay. two stars and a wish, hmm. two stars and a wish. So, um, from a parent's perspective, what are two things that you think are going well or have gone well? And then after that, a wish. So what do you wish? And maybe even your three kids that are hanging out here at your house playing <laughs> um, and they're going through the education system. What's your wish for them as they go through the system or your wish for your kids that are currently in the system mm. or your, your kids that have graduated? So I know that's a lot. It's it a is. lot to think yeah. about, but it's a teacher thing. Uh, two okay. stars. So from a parent's, persex, parents two perspective, things that are going well. two things that are going well and one wish. Two things that are going well. Hmm. I know what my wish is. <laughs> it's a long one. <laughs> Two things that are going well. Um, having having staff that's willing to put in effort with the kids. Um, just teachers and EAs that are willing and trying. The other star? Hmm. I guess the agencies that are supporting my older kids um, and the, 
both of those boil down to people that care. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some incredible people out there. I'm kind of blown away. Um, just the efforts they make with my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all deserve gold stars. Oh. Um, the wish is that we had more support and funding for our kids in school. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be so hard to get help for these guys that need it. Mm-hmm. With the help, they might not end up on, you know, they might be able to support themselves and be proud of themselves and feel worthwhile and, and you know, like they're contributing. And otherwise, it's just, it's, I think, so easy to just downhill, you know, it's what's, what's the point. Um, and that often involves drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So, more funding, more support for schools. Do you feel as though there was enough funding as you went through school, um, outside of school, say with the Key Workers uh, program that's designed to support families with children with FASD? I don't think you can ever have enough. I think one of the one of the programs that we that was very helpful actually, and I don't know if it's even got the same name, was Navigators. Yes, and that's for after after, after they school. graduate. Yeah. Graduate, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they help you find what you need, yeah. basically. And that's, that's I think we need that in our school system. Honestly. Yeah, at a younger at yeah. a younger age, yeah. For somebody the- to just sit help and say, "Have you tried this? Have you tried that? These are these are places you might look for mm-hmm. help for support for." Because, especially the first time we went through it, it was just mind-boggling as, like, I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we did work with, FA, with Pop Faz back, a few years back, and actually one of our kids, because, oh, we'll go into this here for a second, if you're okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, designation, we have four of, our, four of our kids, five, are designated with, through, the, through CDBC. Um, when, when our two oldest girls were little, um, they were referred to Sunny Hill in Vancouver for evaluation, for assessment, and we were on a wait list. Wait, 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 wait. And in the meantime, we're, you know, struggling and trying to get people to realize there was an issue. And finally, we ended up with CDBC, um, because that was started up here. And so we applied for CDBC, we were referred there, and we were turned down because the girls weren't severe enough. There was more kids, more severe. Yes, I had a letter that said, you know, because they're doing okay right now, there's other kids that need the assessment more. And I mean, they're doing okay meant that we were homeschooling and, you know, we're Mm -hmm. trying. Mm -hmm. Um, So finally, PopFaz actually put together um, pediatrician, psychologist, speech and language pathologist, and we went through and got one of our kids designated that way. Oh, good. And that was in, she was in grade five or something. Yeah. But um, it was hard. Yeah. And then we had one designated at four and a half, before he started school, four and a half, five. Yeah. Um, another little guy designated at four and a half. And our oldest wasn't designated until she was 18, or almost 18. Oh, wow. And they slipped her in um, because she was turning older. Had you... She was doing fairly well until okay. then. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple things that stood out to me. I'm thinking as a parent of four kids, how challenging it is 
to even book a pediatrician appointment, right? <laughs> uh, to book, to keep on track of all their appointments and different things. And my wife is an educator, I'm an educator, and I think that we have a pretty good handle on planning and organizing and, and life. And, and, life. Um, and then I think about the challenges that you went through and the challenges that parents, mothers who are um, have kids that were prenatally exposed to alcohol or are trying to go through the process, caregivers that are trying to go through this process. And I know I think it's 12, currently this year was 12 to 13 months uh, is the waiting list mm -hmm. for individuals to get assessed uh, for kids to oh, get it used assessed. It used to be a lot longer. It used to be yeah. longer. And they're, I think they're getting just over 100, 115 assessments for the Northern Health mm -hmm. um, region and uh, uh, per year. But the amount of paperwork, the amount of meetings and um, and things like that. And then you had also mentioned my other uh, how challenging that's got to be and mm -hmm. how uh, how important it would be to have things like those key workers or navigators supporting these families to a greater extent. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, and my other thought was um, when you said that some of them, uh, your, your children, were not severe enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about at schools that I previously taught at where we have 20-some kids on a wait list to get assessed. We get three to four assessments per year. Mm -hmm. And how these kids that are not behavior issues often fall down that list because the more behavior ones are the more are the ones that are causing more of the squeaky wheel the squeaky wheel and the uh, and the, the challenges within that school and how from a parent's perspective you are providing all of those supports you are providing all that structure you're providing that so that this kid can be a successful but and they doesn't become a behavior doesn't problem. become a behavior yeah so, so you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot there right yeah yeah. If you just let them get so frustrated that they blow up at school, maybe you'd get in sooner. Maybe you'd get in sooner. Yeah. I don't, I don't, and that's not where we wanted to go, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's important because this whole podcast um, is from different lenses. Mm -hmm. So we had the neuroscientists talking about the brain and the, yeah. the research that's coming in. We've had Miles speaking um, on, on what it's like to be an individual with FASD as he, go, as he went through the school system and mm -hmm. the importance of relationships and, and structures and supports and, and to get your perspective uh, of having six kids with a designation and having four other kids that have went through um, the education system and what you've seen and what you've noticed and uh, I think is incredibly powerful and incredibly important for mm. teachers and everyone, all listeners to kind of, <laughs> to remember and to take into account because all too often as as teachers and um, educators we have our classroom it's go 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 oh, go yeah. and uh, it can it can be tough to slow down and and to remember the strategies for each of these children because they're all different they're all mm -hmm. complex they're all dynamic and 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 to remember that each one of these kids have parents that care for them have people that are just dropping them off at school, hoping they have the best day possible. Hoping they can stay the whole day. Hoping they can stay the whole day. Yeah, and that's that, and that's another um, conversation to have about mm -hmm. the parents that that whose whose jobs are affected mm -hmm. um, because Absolutely. of the amount of time their child, because the supports that mm -hmm. um, maybe have not been figured out yet, and and things like that. So it's and a I very mean, complex. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I I stay home. And I don't know 
with with some of the years that we've had, I don't think I could have held a job if I wanted to, mm. like an outside job, because you get the phone call and you have to go pick somebody up. You have to make this appointment, that appointment. Um, it's a full-time job at home. Mm -hmm. It just is. So, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any lasting, um, any thoughts that maybe that we didn't cover that you would like educators to know about teaching and working with students with FASD? That they're all individuals and they all have families that care about them and want the best for them. And they need somebody that cares enough to help them through the, through the education system, whether you're a teacher or um, admin or an EA, you're important to them. And they, they need someone to really believe in them and help them so that we can try and get them to be successful in life. Absolutely well said. Well, thank you so much, Martha, for inviting PopFast into your home and sharing with us your experiences of raising 13 children with and without FASD. The intent of this podcast series is to provide a deeper understanding of the dynamics around supporting students with FASD. And today I truly, truly appreciated how honest and open and, and thoughtful you were as you shared from that pers parent's perspective. I should say here that just like the students we teach, parents' experiences and perspectives are going to be just as different. However, hearing your stories and responses, there are many important points that myself and possibly others can take away. For myself, I learned how each child has so many different strengths and challenges, and that those can change throughout their life. Also, the importance of being honest and open with parents when it comes to reporting and providing accurate feedback. Those can be difficult conversations, but they are so important. Also, that more support is needed to truly meet the needs of the kids. But some strategies that you have found to be effective are when teachers can make that learning hands-on, making it real to them, and using visuals. Another important point that you made was that these students need people in the education system who really believe in them and help them along the way, regardless of their role. Whether it be admin, teacher, EA, they need those who care and support them. And finally, this conversation was so valuable as it opened my eyes to the experiences, strengths, and challenges that exist outside of school which I think when we get a sense of the effort that these kids really put in, the daily challenges that they overcome just to be at school, that we as educators can become more patient, empathetic, and supportive to their needs in the classroom. So thank you so much, Martha, for, for bringing, the, uh, bringing us this perspective and, uh, and sharing with us today. Really appreciate it. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please join us next time where we are going to be speaking to a BC key worker and learn how their role can help educators support students with FASD in their classroom. Thank you so much. Have a